everyone and welcome to episode 567 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been super thrilled that Helen Edwards's middle grade novel is now out. I've been doing a happy dance for Helen because she's done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, including historical fiction and writing children's novels, which is all about middle grade. Now the fruits of all of her efforts are out there in the world. Her novel is called The Rebels of Mount Buffalo. And it's an Australian historical fiction time slip adventure set at Mount Buffalo in Victoria, in which 13-year-old Clara Wilde works through insecurities and anxiety about her life and herself, while a mountain and a maiden call her towards courage. Anyhow, congratulations, Helen. I love seeing Australian Writers' Centre graduates succeed. And more importantly, I just love seeing them see their dreams come true. I've also been very excited about our new course, Your Audiobook Advantage. This has just launched and I know that it's going to be super popular. This course is just brilliant and it's essential if you want to get your book out there as an audiobook. I think it's essential, of course, for any established or aspiring author, but it's particularly vital, well, vital, essential if you're an indie author or considering an indie author, this is an absolute must because you need to get your story out there as an audiobook so that people, more people can discover you. And there's so much that goes into the course. By the end of the course, you'll figure out all of the things that you need to know, more importantly, know and do um, before you step into the audiobook world. Of course, if you're a traditionally published author, remember your publisher does not necessarily have the rights to the audiobook because that expires after a period of time if they had it in the first place and certainly if some of your backlist has reverted back to you this course is a must because you could be leaving money on the table if your books aren't out there as audiobooks this course is designed by Sarah Bacala and she is so experienced in this field. She literally knows everything about it. Not only is she a producer of audiobooks, she's also a narrator, but she's also an author herself. So she just gets it. So if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash audiobooks. And this is the week to get it. Even if you're not ready to do it now, you'll have access for 12 months. And so you can get started whenever, um, you know, the time is right for you. But this is the time to secure it because it's currently at a special launch price, which means that this price will never be repeated and it will never be this low. So go get it now at writercenter.com.au slash audiobooks. Now let's move on to our wonderful creative writing tutor, Nat Newman, who is here to bring us this week's writing tip. What's your tip this week, Nat? Well, I've got an interesting one for you this week, Valerie. Um, They're always interesting, Nat. That's true. (laughs) But this this one's particularly maybe odd. Okay. (laughs) I like odds. Yeah, odds good. So if you're writing historical fiction, obviously, you know, you'll go to the library and you'll do some research. Uh, And if you're writing science fiction, you might look at scientific journals or, you know, to read up on the latest discoveries. But what do you do, Valerie, if you're writing about a zombie apocalypse? (laughs) Um, Maybe watch zombie movies. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's a great start. But also, Valerie, 
Um, one of our students recently, uh, she was writing about zombies and she put us onto a channel called zombie on YouTube, sorry, a, a YouTube channel called zombie survival labs. And this channel is devoted to looking at scenarios and figuring out if this would be a good situation to be in if there were a zombie apocalypse. So, <laughs> I know. so they have very handy videos like. Are schools good in a zombie apocalypse? Um, should I go to an airport in a zombie apocalypse? Are rooftops a good place to be in a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> so they take these kind of like scenarios and places and they run, they, you know, run the scenarios and go, is this a good place if you've got zombies that are trying to attack you? So it, it's actual people who are answering these questions and testing them out. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's basically I think it's one guy, and, uh, and he takes <laughs> clips from lots of different movies, and then he also just you know quite um I, I get the impression he's like a bit of an outdoorsy guy or something, and he just kind of looks at at the reality of the situation and is like, is this defensible? Um, can you access food and water in this location? Like, what are the pros and what are the cons of this space? So yeah, and there's even um, a whole playlist called. The Beginner's Zombie Survival Guide um, with videos about how to prepare, where to go, and more importantly, who to take with you in a zombie apocalypse. Oh, my God, because it's it's, gonna, it's such a likely occurrence. Well, I mean, <laughs> unlikely, is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, people are obsessed with zombies, aren't they? I'm not really mm. that into them myself. Are oh, you? Uh, I like a good zombie film, Yeah. Like Train to Busan was great, uh, 28 Days Later. Yeah, a really well-made zombie film. I think it taps into something of just, you know, yeah. a world out of control. Okay. Well, anyway, if you're writing about zombies, we'll put the link in the show notes where you can find out all about the different scenarios that you need to consider when you're, you've are you got zombies in your story. Thanks so much for your writing tip. Yes, it was a bit odd this week, Nat. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Now we're going to move on to the competition that I have for you this week. Acclaimed middle grade children's author Reese Carter is back with another brilliant book. The first one was A Girl Called Corpse and his latest novel is The Lonely Lighthouse of Elston Fright and I have three copies to give away. Of course, Reese burst onto the publishing scene with his first novel, A Girl Called Corpse, which became the QBD Children's Book of the Year 2022 and was listed for several other awards. Now Reese is back with this other magical adventure and this story will transport you to another world. I'm also so super thrilled that Reese completed courses at the Australian Writers' Centre before he launched into his career as an author and it's so great to see him go from strength to strength. You can check out my interview with him in episode 505 if you like. But here is the blurb of his latest novel, The Lonely Lighthouse of Elston Fright. Being a lightkeeper is very serious business. Nobody in Elston Fright believes in magic anymore. Well, nobody except for Flip Little, his nan and his friends, a girl called Corpse, a ghost called Girl and a very large spider called Simon. But when Simon is spider-napped by ancient weather ghouls called the Poltergusts, Flip and his ghostly companions turn to the last lightkeeper's journals for answers. To rescue their friend, they will need to find and return the missing light to the lighthouse, restoring its lost magic. 
Only nothing in Elston Fright is as it seems. Questions bubble up from the deep, dark secrets come to light, and pretty soon, Flip and his friends learn that in order to save the future of Elston Fright, they'll first need to understand its past. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to read this book. I have three copies to give away for you. The Lonely Lighthouse of Elston Fright by Reese Carter. Entries close on the 16th of October. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because it's word of the week time. The word of the week this week is redound. That's R-E-D-O-U-N-D, redound. I feel like this is one of those words you see or hear and you kind of just assume that you know what it means and then you discover that you're wrong. So redound is a verb and it means to have an effect or result as to the advantage, disadvantage, credit or discredit of a person or thing. So you could say that every successful quarterly report redounded to the CEO's benefit. There you go, redound. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Today I'm talking to Stacey McEwen, who is a Queensland school teacher by day and fantasy writer by night. She is a book influencer on multiple platforms, but is especially popular on TikTok and began writing her first novel, Ledge, after book lovers of the internet begged her to share her story ideas. Her second novel, is Chasm. Thanks so much for joining us today, Stacey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have so much to talk about, but (laughs) most importantly, uh, your latest book, Chasm. Tell us what it's about for for people who haven't grabbed their own copy yet. This is always a tricky question to answer because I have to be very careful about what I say because I left um, book one in the series, Ledge, on a very serious cliffhanger. Um, so I can tell you that uh, Chasm picks up exactly where Ledge left off and uh, we find Dawson in a, a dungeon in the Ter- Tersor Palace. And um, book two is all about her discovering this newfound power that she's managed to steal um, from the Glacians, um, her escape from the Tersor Palace and kind of banding together with um, some old friends and some new friends to complete her original mission, which was to get those people off the ledge. Now, do you feel if somebody is new to Stacey McEwen, but, you know, so many people are not, <laughs> but if somebody <laughs> is new to Stacey McEwen, do, can they read this book as a standalone? I don't think they can read Chasm as a standalone, definitely not. 
Um, Ledge has so many things that are incomplete as well that I I would hope that after finishing Ledge that they're probably not satisfied <laughs> with that <laughs> ending. And if they are, then um, that's a little bit sick and twisted. I would imagine that they would want to find out <laughs> what happens next. I don't know how anyone can be satisfied with that ending. There's just so many questions that aren't answered. Um, and Dawson's intentions in Ledge have in no way been fulfilled. So um, I don't think so. Um, and if you're picking up Chasm, I, I do recommend that you go back and pick up Ledge. I think you might be a bit lost. <laughs> it's such a, I mean, <clears throat> it's such an intense <laughs> um, world for for readers to be in. I mean, for the characters, for the characters to be in. But mm -hmm. before we talk about how this world got invented and, and how it came to fruition, tell us what your day job is. I'm a primary school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> this year for year five students. <laughs> what age group would you say this these books are for? At least 16 plus, definitely not primary school children, which is a common misconception, but there's too many adult themes in this book that I would I would personally feel uncomfortable if it was in the hands of anyone below 16. So the book comes with a whole bunch of trigger warnings and I've been very, very loud um, about the fact that this is an adult book. Um, lest it end up in the wrong hands. Um, I used to write for younger children um, or young adult. That was sort of my my area that I marketed for. But I've just had this newfound love for um, adult fantasy, and I would love to see more adult fantasies out there. So I decided to write one. Fantastic. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? This is a um, a question that I change my answer on frequently, and the reason is that every time I I think on it. I go back a little bit further to a younger age where I was doing something in the vicinity of writing. Um, I used to fancy myself a poet when I was around the age of nine. Um, when I was 13, I decided I was going to um, draw comic books. And when I was 15, I tried to write my first manuscript and failed miserably. I didn't write my first um, fantasy book until I was 18 um, to to completion and then I've, I've been writing fantasy books ever since then so I don't know that I ever decided one day that I wanted to be a writer I think it was just always something that I enjoyed doing um but I I know that by the time I was 17 18 and decided I wanted to write a novel I knew that this this is what I wanted to do as a as a career but it felt like a pipe dream it felt like someone saying that they wanted to be a pop star um, it seems such an unlikely career path. So I went to university to become a teacher and was just dabbling in writing in the meantime. So you become a teacher and then at some point, I think during lockdown, maybe you get on TikTok. So yeah. first of all, why did you decide to get on TikTok and what was the original intention? Decided to get on TikTok because I was really bored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was feeling a lot like Groundhog Day here at home. Um, everyone was talking about TikTok at that time. Uh, I just downloaded it just to see what it was, just out of morbid curiosity, and I was scrolling through, and it was um, – I almost deleted the app because it was lots of strange dancing and weird uh, life hacks and, you know, how to make coat hangers out of toothpicks and weird things like that. And um, I thought this social media is not for me. And then I happened to scroll past someone who was – um, recommending books and just talking about these books that you like. And I was very intrigued and I picked up the very first book that that woman recommended and read it and loved it. 
And, um, and I just kind of got engrossed and that's how TikTok works. As soon as you pay attention to one video, the algorithm pays attention to that and feeds you more videos that are, that are similar. Um, and so after that, I was very, very immersed in, in what was then um, the conception of book talk, basically. It was very new at the time and it only, that hashtag had only been up and trending for um, maybe six months at the time. It wasn't very large and I have uh, a big mouth and I don't know if it shows, but I'm not camera shy. And so <laughs> there was very little um, holding me back from making my own videos. And I just thought, I, I know lots about books. I've got lots of things to say. Um, so I, I eventually became brave enough to post post my own. And it was just purely um, my intention was just that I wanted to get involved. It was really fun. I'd made friends on in that community, I, I was commenting on other creators' videos and they were commenting back and it was just really fun. We had all these inside jokes and uh, we had these books that we had all read and that we could pass judgment on and that was really fun as well. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get involved. And so <clears throat> consuming TikTok, because I know a lot of people who love, like spend forever uh, <laughs> on TikTok, but they don't necessarily post themselves. So um how long did you consume it before you had the courage to actually post on it I think it was I think it was around two or three months I was just scrolling and commenting and and following people and just reading all the recommendations that they put out and just laughing along with it um before some of my own jokes started accumulating in my in my head and and funny skits that could be done and books that I had on my shelf that I wanted to talk about um and I just thought, why not? Like, what have I got to lose? Um, I assumed that I would post a video and that it would get zero views. And I was completely fine with that. There was a lot of peace to be found in the idea that I could post a video and it wouldn't be seen by anyone anyway, you know? So I think that more than anything probably gave me the courage to post the first one. And I was right. It got seen by no one. And it was so safe. And <laughs> I think five people liked it. And it was just going out into the abyss. Um, I didn't have any of my friends or family in my real life that were on TikTok that I was um, having conversations with. These were all strangers. Um, and so, yeah, there was a, a weird sense of safety be to be found in that. Um, and so I posted another one and it, it got seen by no one at all. And then um, eventually I got brave enough to post an actual skit um, that I had in my mind. And the skit was um, gathering typical characters from a romance novel in an AA-like meeting um, and having them sort of divulge uh, what their terrible habits were and um, their terrible stereotypical little tropes and things like that um, and having me as the reader basically criticise them for it. Um, and I thought it would be a good, <laughs> I thought it'd be a funny skit and so I, I made that. I worked out how to use the editing functions in TikTok, it took a long time. And, but I managed to, to get it done and post it out there and did the same thing again, just threw it out there into the void thinking no one's going to see it anyway. So what have I got to lose? It was fun to make. Um, and I, I woke up the next morning to like hundreds of thousands of views from that one TikTok and went, oh, God, one at least one of those viewers is going to be my boss from school. Um, and so that was that was a terrifying thought. Suddenly it started to feel not quite as safe. But I opened up that comment section and everyone was just laughing along. And um, there were so many romance authors, indie romance authors in there. Um, 
just adding in their own two cents and and laughing along with it and asking me to make another one and to add this character now and and do this and don't forget this line or don't forget this trope and so I just kept making them because the reaction was really positive and it was just it was just fun it was just a funny thing to do um and because my account was so small there was no such thing as backlash or um no one negative coming into that space. Um, so I just kept going with it. And before, before I knew it, I had this, um, I had this small following that turned into a media following that turned into a larger following. Um, so yeah, it just kind of snowballed and that's what I find that it does. It's just something catches. And if you keep going with it, it does tend to snowball. And so, um, TikTok worked out well for you because you, at, currently you have three hundred and forty-five thousand seven hundred followers, ten point yeah. five million likes. Some of your videos have millions and millions of views. Um, let's circle back to your comment about at least one of those people is going to be my boss. Now, <laughs> this question is for all the teachers out there who. Uh, might be thinking, oh, I can't do that. I'm a teacher. I don't want my kids seeing me do skits or, or you know, get on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your, do, at number one, did you have any of those concerns? Um, and number two, um, what's your advice to those people? Uh, so that all of those fears are very valid and I felt every single one of them. Um, it was the initial reason why I held back a little bit from it. Um, because I teach primary school, most of those children do not have that social media app. They're, they're underage and they're not supposed to. Um, that's not the same now, two years on with the app having grown in popularity. I find that lots of the students in my own class have TikTok now. In fact, the majority of them do. That wasn't the case when I started it. However, um, I still had very, very big fears that perhaps this was um, this was a mistake for me. Um, I still had a career that I that I was passionate about in teaching, um, that I cared very much about, and the idea that I was putting my face on social media and sending it out on a public account was terrifying. And we're told as teachers over and over again to make sure that our own social media accounts are set to private. Um, the reason being that we don't want students to be looking in on our on our private lives. And so we look, like don't give them permission to do so in the first place. Um, so I was kind of going against that. I was doing the opposite. I wasn't breaking any rules um, and there's still no rules around it, but I was going against the recommendation, I suppose, by throwing something like that out there. So I was walking a very, very fine line and that line was that um the things that I was going to say were not going to be crass um I wasn't going to swear um I was going to make sure that the books that I was talking about and the content inside the books that I was talking about was kind of kept at a PG level so I was walking that fine line there's been many times that I wish I could do away with that fine line and just talk about whatever I want to talk about but I'm still a teacher and so I still walk that line um, and so I guess that's that's always the advice that I give other teachers who are trying to do something similar is that there is a line that we can walk where the things that we're saying um, are not harmful if someone underage was to see it um, or are not inappropriate if our boss was to open it up. Um, it was also just 
a bit more validating for me at the time because I had spoken to my boss and I've got a new boss now because I'm at a new school. And so they, they are, they all know all about it. Um, and they follow me on those accounts and they laugh along with me and they, they see me at school and, and make comments about the, the newest video that I've put up and they're very supportive. Um, so I think being open and honest about it, um, being an honest, being open and honest about your intentions, always being aware that we have, no control on a public account who is viewing our content and so we have a responsibility in that so you started on tiktok what in 2021 approximately with that yeah uh, I, yes so it was at the very very start of the year i was probably viewing content though at, towards the end of 2020 yeah when I we would were say. all viewing content <laughs> indeed <laughs> <laughs> all right so you started 2021 and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows at what point did you think oh my god i've got this incredible follow incredibly large following this is quite valuable i could leverage this in some way did that come into your brain yeah of course um it came into my husband's brain before mine um so i think i i was sitting on around uh, 11,000 followers and um, I was watching it very closely thinking at what point will I tell anyone else in my real life that this is what I, I'm doing because at this point my husband didn't know <laughs> that I was making any videos and posting them online. Um, Are you serious? Very, I'm serious <laughs> and it grew it grew rapidly and I went I just kept watching that number tick up going at what point should I tell him? And he's a shift worker. So I was making these videos sort of at night after putting our two children to bed and he was at work and I was bored and I go, oh, I'll make a TikTok and post it. Um, and I also just sort of thought he's he's probably going to think this is really silly. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to him. So I, um, I did, I told him that I was making videos of myself and putting them on the internet. That's not the way that you want to explain that to your husband, by the way. Um, and he asked me, what videos are you making? And I said, I'm talking about books and putting them on TikTok. And he went, and people are watching that? And I went, yes, I'm not the only, he's not a book reader, never has been. And it's always been a running joke that we are polar opposites in that regard. Um, so to tell him that I have 11,000 people um, following me to hear me talk about books um, was baffling to him um but very very validating for me that was a that was a good day for me to be able to throw that in his face uh but he he did ask me like this is great like what are you going to do with this following and I said I don't really know it's sort of come up out of nowhere um I wasn't really expecting it I just want to make more content I think and just see what happens and I don't know maybe some publishers will send me some books and um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that will be a way for me to 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 meet some publishers or to meet agents or something like that. And he was like, why don't you just do it yourself? Just take one of these books that you've got sitting on your desktop. There's at least 12 of them. Why don't you just self-publish it? Um, and I went, that's a great idea. You might be the brains of the family. So I started going down that road. And the other great thing about TikTok was that uh by then I was in contact with a whole lot of indie authors, a whole lot of self-published authors. And so I had this bank of people that I could reach out to and ask for advice. And it was so invaluable. And there were so many of them that were just so generous in their time um, in teaching me all of the ins and outs of this world. And I was so oblivious to it. I was really, really ignorant to the amount of work that goes into publishing a book. 
Um, but I got there. I, I wrote Ledge that year. I decided I wanted to, to write a fresh book. I looked at the manuscripts I had on my desktop and decided that they were all trash and that I was going to start again. And I had the idea of Ledge on the mind um, for a while. And so I, I wrote it. I got a cover. I edited it. I did all of those things. I, I learned how to um, work KDP on Amazon and and how to work with Ingram Spark and all of those sorts of things that you need to do as a self-published author in Australia and I announced it online. Um, and when I announced it online that I was self-publishing, that that video did really, really well, much better than I thought it would. And it kind of derailed my self-publishing journey after that. In what sense? It's, uh, well, in the sense that by the end of that week, um, the, the video had been seen hundreds of thousands of times by people. And that's not viral. Um, by any means, but it's definitely um, much more than what you would expect a self-promotional video to do. People can smell self-promotion a mile away and they usually go running when it smells like you're trying to sell them something. So I really expected that video to not do that well, but it did. And by the end of the week, I had three emails sitting in my inbox and one was from a literary agent and two were from um, publishers um, asking if they could read the manuscript before I published it myself. And I thought, what the hell, what, like, what's the harm in doing that? So I sent it to all three and a week later I had a literary agent who was going to help me with things like foreign translation rights and audiobook deals, things that I was not going to be able to do myself as a self-published author. And, um, and then the publishers got back to me and one of them said, no, thank you. And the other one said, we're going to send this to our, our US counterpart because they have um, fantasy imp imprints there and we think the US market will probably want this and then we can publish it in Australia as well. I told, I thought I'd better run that by my agent. Uh, so I, I let her What know. a great and line. She, yeah, <laughs> and I, I better run that by her. Uh, so I called her and said, so listen, before you were my agent, I may have accidentally sent this book to Simon and Schuster. Um, and now they want to send it on to their, to their US counterpart. So I'm just letting you know. And she went, do you want to be traditionally published? I thought you were self-publishing this book. And I went, well, they just asked for to see it. So I just thought I'd send it. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and she went, if you want a book deal, if you would like to see what's out there and, and just peruse your options, we can put your self-published release date on hold and I can try and get you a book deal. Um, and she said, just give me a month. And I thought that was an impossibility. Um, I had queried agents in the past and, and um, sort of tried out things like that um, years ago. And it took me months and months and months to get responses, let alone like, and that was for just query letters, you know, not entire manuscripts. So I thought this, she's surely she's um, lying to me, but I thought, yeah, go for it, Amy. Like, why not? Again, what's the harm? I might as well, you know, chuck my line in the water and just see what we can catch. And and she came back four weeks later with two book deals and we we chose the one that we liked best. And so I had to cancel all, all the self-publishing plans and suddenly the release was pushed back about a year um, because this the traditional publishing machine is is slow working. Um, but there was a lot to do and and yeah and it kind of diverted uh, all of my plans. And I'm very glad that it did because it's worked out very well. 
So let's talk about the timeline on that because at 11,000 followers, your husband kind of gives you the idea, hey, maybe, you know, publish your own book and then you write an entire book. (laughs) So what was the timeline on that? When did you start writing? When do you approximately, did you finish writing or were you ready for it to go out in the world? And then presumably there was another year after that before it then came out. Yeah, so it was. It's sort of like it turned into this long, protracted period of time. But uh, from from the point where I decided I was going to write a fresh book, I think that was in February of two thousand and twenty-one, and um, I wrote that book inside five months. It was the quickest I'd ever finished a manuscript. It usually takes me more like a year, um, but I was very, very motivated to sort of um, keep the attention of these followers while I had it, and I was very aware of the fact that they could just as easily get bored and turn their back. So I sort of wanted to capitalise on it while I could. Um, so I did that. I, I did the editing. Um, I worked out all the nitty-gritty um, of self-publishing. And then in August I posted the video saying I'm going to release a book and here's what it's about. And um, after that it all got derailed. So we sort of had the original release set for um, October 2021. And I cancelled that and Ledge did not release until September 13th of 2022. Wow. So that's sort of, yeah, the delay. (laughs) And then, of course, it comes full circle because then there are all these other people on TikTok and social media, but especially on TikTok, who are reading Ledge and who are just incredibly effusive about it and are posting their own reviews. What was that like when you were seeing other people talk about your book initially it was horrifying (laughs) um I was terrified I kept I I honestly stayed away from it for a little while um I was so worried that every time I got tagged in something to do with ledge that I would open up that review and it would actually be a negative one and um there's there's no one there's nothing that's stopping anyone from tagging me in negative reviews and I just knew that I didn't have thick enough skin for it um so I was I was avoiding reviews like the plague and I still do um but I I eventually I got I got brave enough to start looking at the content and I also thought that if people are taking the trouble to take these beautiful pictures of books or making these videos and writing these reviews and doing all of these things um on their channels then the very least that I can do is give it a like and um and that sort of thing so I did um make myself go on and and watch it all and and have a look at the videos and look at the photos that people sent to me and thank them and um I eventually calmed down a little bit. It did take a couple of months of getting used to though, but I eventually calmed down. And after that, it was, um, it was just so surprising. I'm still shocked by it, to be honest. Anytime I see um, a random ledge book just like pop up on my feed or um, a photo that someone said to me saying, oh, I'm at at this bookstore in Spain. And I, like, I saw a copy of ledge. So I took a photo. Um, I'm just baffled by it every single time. It feels like uh, I woke up one day and all of this was happening. It still, even though it's been a few years now, it still feels like it's all happened inside a very, very short amount of time where one day I was just a teacher and a mum and now I'm um, an author as well. And I, I genuinely never 
thought that I would become published. I, I never thought that my writing was good enough to become published. Um, I still feel like that sometimes. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's mind-boggling every single time, but so wonderful. Um, and I've learned the ways to sort of dodge the negative reviews and things now. I've sort of learned all the tricks of the trade and spoken to other authors and got advice on, on what to do in that regard. So it's online is a safer space for me now than what it felt like when I initially released Wedge. And so let's talk about this. Firstly, maybe describe to people who haven't had a chance to read the books yet, the world that you have built in your story. And how did this world come into your brain? What was the inspiration? <laughs> you know, like what made you so think start, of this? <laughs> I'll start with the the inspiration because um, that sort of unfolded like a domino effect into what the the world of ledge is now. Um, but I, I've always been obsessed with like survival of the wilderness stories, you know, like um, someone trapped, like, you know, stuck in the middle of the desert and trying to find an oasis or like the man bobbing on a boat in the middle of the sea trying to find land. Um, I always think that those tales are so very, very captivating and they're always sort of predicated on time. That always seems to be the theme of the book, you know, like how long until they run out of food, how long until they they starve, how long until the water's gone, um, how long until the terribly injured person um, can't survive any longer without receiving medical attention. So that's sort of always the theme that's attached to like a survival of the wilderness theme. And I love that plot line. So I, I have always wanted to write a book with that theme. Um, and I wondered how I could make it fantasy. Um, so the man in the desert and, and you know, the boat bobbing on the sea has been done a million times. And the idea that I had in my mind was this snowy, icy landscape, this sort of tundra biome, um, because if there's one thing that I hate, it's being cold. I thought that would be my worst nightmare. Um, and there's nothing that sets up a fantasy tale better than dumping your main character in your worst nightmare. Um, that's usually a good place to start. So um, that's the initial idea that I had. Um, but I also had the thought of if a survivalist tale is usually about the character escaping that place, what if I flipped that on its head and made the place inescapable? So I set about creating a world where my main character was stuck in this snowy, icy, blizzardous place, but how do I trap her there? Um, and so the idea of the ledge came about this, like just this icy precipice on the side of a mountain that has like an unending drop into a chasm on one side and on the other side is just unclimbable, slick mountain face. Um, and I thought that was a really, that would be a really cool setting to work with initially, but you have to, put all of these parameters in place to explain why people are there in the first place. Um, so how did they get there? I decided that there would be a valley beneath the, the mountain that they originally came from and that there were these um, mountain creatures called glacians that needed humans and they therefore herded humans up the mountain and, and flew them over the chasm and trapped them on the ledge where they picked them off and um, almost farm them like cattle. Um, so I just kept asking myself questions about that world. You know, if the ledge exists, then how did they get there? And if they got there by glacians, what do the glacians need them for? And, um, and what's going to happen to Dawson now? So, um, the idea of the ledge is that 
these people are trapped there. Um, they fell trees for warmth and their life is just about surviving every single day because it's such a harsh, harsh landscape. Um, and these glacian tree creatures need them there and they need to keep them alive. Uh, so they drop rations onto the ledge every now and then, but at the beginning of every season, they also come and sort of cull a few of the humans. So they pick them up randomly. We don't know why they carry them over the chasm and back to their glacian kingdom, which is on the other side of the chasm. And we don't know what happens to those people. And eventually my main character Dawson is picked up by one of the glacians taken over the chasm. And we learn what the hell the glacians do with these people and why. And um, the story is all about Dawson's bid for escape with the help of an unlikely ally uh, when she meets one of the glacians. So when you first thought, I'm going to write this new story, so back when you thought you were going to indie publish, let's talk about plotting because did you know that it was going to be a multi-book series from the start? And then did you? how did you plot that in your brain? Like how did you make decisions about the plotting as to, you know, where the story was going to go for each book? So uh, initially I was just going to write a standalone um, and that's what Ledge was going to be. And I thought the objective of the character would be fairly obvious, right? Like if she's a, if she's been taken off the ledge and she's learnt everything that's happening and she's learnt the truth about why the people are there in the first place and what the Glacians are using them for, then wouldn't her objective be to try and rescue all the other people that are still stuck on the ledge? So that objective seemed very um, plain and simple and, and straightforward to me so I figured that the book would be quite linear in that sense in that like that would that would be the ending of the book is that she'd rescue all those people off the ledge but um the more I plotted the more I realized that it was going to take a really long time for her to to achieve that <laughs> goal and if that was the goal all along would it really be so simple as to get the people off the ledge bring them to the valley kingdom and just have them go about their everyday lives that doesn't seem um plausible either so the more I thought about it and um, the more I was pacing the plot out, the more I realised that this was too much for one book and it would need to be a series. So I stretched, like it, it moved immediately to two books and then I had to stretch it again to the third book um, once I considered that it would not be as easy as bringing these people into the valley and kind of setting them free. Um, there's too much political agenda attached to that as well. Um, so, yeah, just the, the more questions I asked myself about well if if that's the case then why and what's the motivation behind this character then and what's going to happen to this villain and this villain and this villain and what's going to happen to this protagonist um the more I was trying to tie those ends together the more I realized I needed more space to do so so I ha simply had to find I, I actually plotted all three books all at once um and then found good places to separate into three if that makes sense so I sort of cut it into thirds and made sure that the endings of each would be um would be tidy enough that readers would be hopefully satisfied and that I could pick up the next story again in a good space so it was just yeah finding sort of chopping points I suppose so when you say you plotted out, I think, I mean, that's extraordinary. You plotted out all three books all in one go. What did that look like? Was that simply written out in a Word document or did you have, you know, post-it notes or how was it actually plotted? So I usually um, 
do something called a dirty write-up, <laughs> which is where I um, I find that my mind is sort of uh, humming with the story and then I have to get it out somehow and it doesn't really have time for things like tables and, and post-it notes and charts and things. So I will just open a Word document and I will just spew everything out onto the keyboard and it doesn't have to make sense and it doesn't have to sound good and it doesn't have to be anything other than every single thought that I've ever had about what this story might be and I just get it all out there. And then I sort of start to go through it and flesh it out piece by piece. So that looks horrific and no one ever sees that but me. But it's just every idea that I've had. And it might be like quotes that I've thought of that a character could say here and a character here and, and like a personality trait that they need to have and that's essential to the plot. And, um, you know, the name of something that I thought would be really cool and it just looks like a complete mess. Um, from there, I open up a different Word document and I will make a nice table that has chapters and it has points of view if I'm going to have multiple points of view and then it has a scene breakdown. And so from there, I will literally just put down like chapters one through 50. I don't know if I'm going to fill those chapters or not, but let's just put them there for the sake of it. And I'll go chapter one. What does that need to look like? Whose point of view is it from? Where are they? And what are the key things that need to happen in this scene? Um, and so I will just go through like that and keep going. And sometimes there's gaps in it. Sometimes there's a couple of chapters of gaps where I go, something needs to happen here. I'm not certain what it is, though. I'll come back to it later. I just keep working on it until those boxes are filled. Um, and then I'll I'll go back through it a couple of times and comb it over just to make it look like that. Or, like, you know, point A is meeting point B nicely. Um and etc. So it's sort of, it feels like um, connecting dots, I suppose. Um, and it's not clean and it's not messy and it, it is very messy and it's it's not easy um, and it doesn't get done in one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> it takes a while. And, but then once it's How there. How long would that take? How long would it take to, to I would get probably to sit on that. I, I would say every, that was for all three books. So that took mm. much longer. I would say that that probably took me a month. And when I say a month, I mean a month of obsessing over it, basically. Um, keeping notebooks by side my bed, um, just thinking about it all the time, adding random notes to my phone um, until I eventually feel like I've answered all the questions that I need to. And then I can start writing. So um, I'm a bit of a serial plotter. In that regard, I don't feel like I can start a story until I know every single thing that needs to happen. And then usually, at least halfway through the writing, uh, I make a drastic decision to change it. <laughs> and I do. And I go back to that document and start making all of the adjustments. So it's sort of a working document. Um, and I keep adjusting it as I go through um, because there's always a plot hole that I haven't thought of. Um, it sounds yeah, so it does, systematic. It does take time. <laughs> It yeah, sounds so yeah. Systematic. I, I have been told that I'm very systematic. Um, I find the writing really overwhelming if I don't have something that I can that's anchoring me, um, that I can sort of go back and have a look at and make sure that I'm on the right track. And when I find that I'm getting a bit blocked, um, that's what I sort of rely on to get me back on track so I can read through it again. Um, because usually when I'm I'm struggling to write um getting a bit of writer's block I it's usually because I've taken the story a bit off track 
So when you are writing an epic fantasy of this nature and a world that is, you know, has that, that so much has to come from um, your imagination, has to be so consistent, you uh, have to get everything, you know, right, um, It's it takes up a lot of bandwidth. You know, writing any book takes a yep. lot up a lot of bandwidth, um, and you're not in a situation like you were in lockdown where you had nothing to do. You were so bored, you could think of all of these great ideas for skits for TikTok and stuff. How has that been now? Have you because you, you need bandwidth to actually come up with good content on 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 video? So how has that been? Have you managed to carve out the bandwidth for both of those things? No, uh, and it remains my biggest challenge. Um, I usually find that either the content creation that I'm doing is on point or the writing that I'm <laughs> taking part in is on point, but never both at the same time. Um, and the reality is that if I if one of those needs to fall through, then it has to be the content creation and that I'm just going to have to make some um, quick, easy kind of dodgy content for the meantime while I'm working on something. But I um I do try to give myself breaks from writing so that I can go back and, and do a bit more content creation because um, as much as I wish it, it wasn't, it is important and I do have to keep up with it. And um, it's the reason that I'm here in the first place. So I owe it a little bit of time. Um, and I do enjoy it when I get into it as well. So it is usually like a nice little break away from the writing, but trying to do them both together and teach and be a parent <laughs> and all the ins and outs that comes with that yeah it's it's not I don't recommend it it's not <laughs> I've bitten off too much it's um I've definitely bitten off more than I can chew um and this year I'm definitely feeling it more than other years but I also I can see that light at the end of the tunnel and I know that it's temporary and sometimes we have to just work that bit harder for that bit longer so that uh, we get the reward on the other side and there will come a day where um, I don't need to sort of divide my time into into two different careers and content creation and, and all that sort of thing. And I can I can just be writing. Um, it's not yet, but it's coming soon. So I've just got to you sort of you just put your head down and, and keep barreling through, don't you? But yeah, I do find that um Anyway, I get that question a lot. How do you balance it all? And my answer is always, I'm not balancing it that well. I'm dropping a lot. <laughs> and it's, and if you are too, then that's completely normal because it's so much, you know, it's, it's so much work. Um, there's always a hundred things going on. It's a lot of tabs to have open on the brain all of the time. So I do try to just close some and focus on others and then open up those other ones later. I, that's the only way that I can manage them all. So honestly, I could talk to you all day, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we have to let you go at some point so you can continue writing and continue making <laughs> content. So let's end with, um, firstly, everyone, go read Stacey's books. Um, this world is, as I said, intense and full on, but it's just, uh, you know, magical, <laughs> deeply immersive. As soon as you're in, you're in. But let's finish with, because you just said um, uh, it's it, the content is the reason you're here today, which, you know, <laughs> let's face it, book talk made your, you go stratospheric. What would your advice be then for aspiring writers, your top three tips for aspiring writers 
who are wondering what the hell do I do on social media? Uh, the biggest and the easiest thing that you can do when you're making your own content um, is to, or actually I'll take it back. So first of all, the best content that you can put out there right now is videos. And that's because um, as human beings, our attention span is very, very small and we're very engaged by things that move and things that make noise. Uh, that's why videos at the moment are just, uh, they're doing better than static photo taking, for example. Um, so make video, however it is that you need to make videos. It does not have to have your face in it, but make the videos. Um, the second thing is that when you're making those videos, make sure there is absolutely no pause or hesitation at the beginning of your video. If you start a video by saying, hey guys, how are you? I hope you're well. That video is not going to be seen. It takes people two less than two seconds to scroll on. If you open a video by saying, hey guys, they've already moved on to the next video. It tells the algorithm that those people who watch similar content are not interested in your video and it stops showing your video to other people. Every time you start a video, you need to get straight into it and you better make sure that those first two seconds are impactful in one way or another. If they're not attention grabbing, then people have already scrolled on. Our attention span is this big. Um, and the next one is make sure that you've got no pauses throughout your video as well and try to keep those videos on the shorter side. They don't really need to be any longer than a minute. And if they are, it better be for a really good reason. So those are sort of my three top easy tips that we can all sort of adhere to. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Congratu congratulations on Ledge and Chasm. And thank you so much for your time today, Stacey. Thanks, Valerie. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Stacey. We've now come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Please do connect with me and all of the other people in the listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. And of course, if you have 30 seconds to leave a, uh, a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, I'd be so grateful because it really helps us in the rankings and helps other people discover us. Anyway, thanks so much. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast, or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter, at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.